Hey everybody, Christian Carvajal here, Editor Emeritus of Oli Arts. Welcome to Sound Stages. You know what this is. It's our weekly podcast, well, weekly-ish, dedicated to theater entertainment all over the South Sound. This week's episode, I should warn you, may contain explicit language and references to topics that might be unsuitable for our younger listeners. So, on behalf of Oli Arts, thanks for listening. Hi everybody, Christian Carvajal here on a blustery but beautiful summer night at Port Plaza. We are outdoors to talk about some outdoor Shakespeare. This will be, I hope, a special episode of Sound Stages because it will be the last episode of Sound Stages. I am adding another day job to my repertoire and I just unfortunately won't have the time to sink into this project anymore. I've done something like 60, 70 episodes. I've lost count at this point just over three seasons. That is a lot of theater in three seasons in a relatively small town. And this will not be the first time we have talked to Kate Ayers. What a multi-talent. She is... You're welcome, it's true. She is directing Shakespeare's The Tempest for Oli Works. Now, if you have not heard of the theater enterprise produced by Oli Works in the past, that is because this is the first theater enterprise produced by Oli Works. Kate... How did that happen, and how did you get recruited? Let's see. It's been kind of in the works for a couple years. Ned Hayes had this vision of doing The Tempest here at Port Plaza, and he had shared that with me a couple years ago. I said, oh, The Tempest is one of my favorite Shakespeare. It's probably my very favorite Shakespeare play. It's so beautiful. I thought the port is kind of a cool place to do it. You've got the sound right there and this huge tower above us that could be a great background. And I think just from talking with Ned over the past couple of years, it kind of developed into that. And he asked me if I wanted to direct it. If I wanted to be a part of it, what would I want to do? Uh, be in it, to direct it. And it kind of fell that I would direct it. And I'm really happy with that. So how much of the package was set when you came on board? He had talked with Brian Terrell about being Prospero, and that's about it. We had talked about me cutting it. Brian Terrell wanted to talk with me before absolutely committing to it, so we had a conversation and it seemed like this was going to work out. Had so. you directed him before? No. Actually, I had never seen him perform before. His reputation preceded His him. reputation preceded him. And actually, we knew each other back in Indiana. Oh, um, really? I may have seen him perform because I know I saw some shows he was in. I just don't remember it. But I do remember his wife. And we were both in the theater community back there. But I remember her more than him. So I didn't have memory of seeing him. So, yeah, we reminisced about that. That was kind of our meeting. We reminisced about being in the theater community back in Indiana and what that was like. And here we both are. And did Ned have any idea of a look and feel for the show, or was that all kind of put in your lap? He had a definite idea of what he had wanted here, I think, through our conversations and just the possibilities of what could actually happen in this space. When I came on board to direct it, he said, you can go with this. This is what I envision but you can go with it. So I think the vision is very different because of the realities of the space, but I actually think it works really well in this space. Well, I must confess, when I was first called and asked to participate, and I've 
was really excited to do it, especially given the fact that the third and final weekend will be Harbor Days. We'll have the tall ships behind us. Mm -hmm. It just seemed really great. But when we first got into the space here, I realized, oh, this is going to be kind of daunting because it's not necessarily wired for outdoor performances very well. And the acoustic environment is not Mm -hmm. ideal. There's seagulls yelling over the top of us all (laughs) the time. Constantly, right? Constantly. And then as we went into Tech Week, I was really surprised by the scope of the production, which, mm-hmm. of course, I, as an actor, had not been privy to. But mm-hmm. John Sarembi and I were joking that it's kind of like moving the monsters of rock into this right. space now. Right. I mean, there's lighting equipment and sound right. coming in. You had a lot of help with that. But mm-hmm. were you surprised at the scale that accumulated? No, I think because I was part of that and in all those conversations around it. We had been down here and looked at the electrical capacity before, what was the reality of uh, running cords, et cetera, et cetera. So we had some pre-production on that. It changed. We had originally thought we'd light from above. That did not work out. The space is too big for that. So now moving it out front seems to be a better option. And it looks really good. But to totally reconfigure your lighting yeah, right, plot right, design right, overnight. On the third tech rehearsal right. is tricky, right? Right. Well, you know, we've got Tim Sandlin and Michael Christopher. Tim Sandlin's doing the lighting design, and Michael Christopher is the tech director, and Chris Mann is our stage manager. And, you know, you can't, you can't ask say for, enough good right. about those people. No, you cannot. And Mishka is doing the costumes, and I have a fantastic cast and a fantastic production team. Well, and they're all in. I mean, Chris has already had to replace a phone because it fell down the one drain (laughs) in the neighborhood. What a freak accident, right? Freak accident. Michael and Heather, the mast from the ship went through their back windshield. Yes, their front windshield. So we're getting negatively paid (laughs) on this production. (laughs) Exactly. But Ned was telling me that Harbor Days pulls in something like 25,000 people some years. So the potential, especially that third weekend weekend a huge audience is pretty high, right? Right. It's really high. And what we're seeing in rehearsal has been fantastic, too. I mean, people are wandering by and stopping and staying. So that's the hope that's going to be happening these next three weekends here, too. And another challenge, because, of course, you're trying to make delicate acting changes while people go, what are you doing? What's going on? Can we climb the tower? This is great. Y'all are great. Right. That's all part of it. It's very Shakespearean. It's very classical. All right, so for folks who don't know the story of The Tempest, and I have a hard time imagining there are many of those people listening to this podcast, but we'll assume there are a few. What is the elevator pitch for this play? What's going on here? This is a play and a story about, um, well, first revenge and then eventually forgiveness, which is one of the main themes. So 12 years ago, someone was ousted the Duke of Milan was ousted, ended up on an island. Milan being Milan, Milan if you're not right, right. by iambic pentameter. Right. And 12 years later, those that wronged him are passing by the island. And with his magic, Prospero creates a tempest that brings them to the island where he is going to seek his revenge. And then fabulous things happen. And in the grand tradition of Greek mythology mm-hmm. and Star Wars, <laughs> yes, we go to some completely fantastic alien landscape and we run into our blood relatives. Right. Exactly. That's what happens. You, you cannot get away from them, can you? I guess that's <laughs> right. the great lesson of the Tempest. You can't run away from family. Right. They'll always be No matter be how there, far right? you go away. <laughs> there they well, are. There they are, waiting on the beach. <laughs> Thinking right. their thoughts, plotting their plots, right? <laughs> right. 
Well, as happened more often than I expected when I started this podcast, I'm in the show we're talking about. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm one of the principals, but I do play a member of the scheming royal family mm-hmm. alongside Michael Christopher, who has doubled as set designer, set designer. and tripled as overall tech, tech overseer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This is my second time doing outdoor theater, Kate, and I gotta tell you, although I thought the first time was pretty rewarding, I swore I was never gonna do it again. Oh, and here you are. Here I am. I'm so happy. I was drawn in by Kate Ayers and Ned Hayes and Tall Ships. <laughs> and tall and Ships, yeah. It's a lot of physical labor. People may not realize when they come to see an outdoor show, and this is the third outdoor Shakespeare of the summer. Right, we are so fortunate, yes, so fortunate in this city. But it's the case for all of them. Before you arrive and sit in your lawn chair and pop a soda, people have been doing the physical labor Mm -hmm. of rock and roll roadies getting the thing set up because you have to tear it down every Mm -hmm. night, put it in a U-Haul van and drive it away and bring it back Mm -hmm. the next day, right? Right. Roughly, what is it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for three weekends. Correct. At 8 o'clock. Kind of unusually for outdoor theater. Right. A little late. But we have Later. lights. But yeah, we've so got we lights. get to do that. Now, we're not doing a show on Saturday the 24th, partly because another company is using this space, but also because some of your cast is going to be participating in a right. full-length reading mm-hmm. of the Mueller Report. Correct. And where is that going to be? Are you in that? You know, I have been talking about this and I said that I would sign up. I actually did not sign up. So if there's a spot for me, I will do it, yes. But I think it may have been filled up before I actually got Well, here's the crazy thing. So we're doing it at the Washington Center mm-hmm. and under their banner. Yeah. And after the project was proposed a mere couple, couple of weeks, weeks ago, ago yeah, right. dignitaries of national scale Mm -hmm. have asked if they could be a part of it. So we haven't filled out the whole roster yet, but some of us little penny-ante actors are giving up our slots so that that people like Representative Denny Heck can participate. The mayor, I think, is Mayor Cheryl Selby will be one of the readers. Yes. I'm not even privy to all of the negotiations that are taking place, but I suspect people will be surprised, again, by the scale. It's quite impressive. So, One of the things I love about this town that you can have a crazy idea on a Thursday and, <laughs> and the it's following happening. weekend it's happening right. pretty well. Right. right? Mm-hmm. With listeners, a lot of support. There's those seagulls, I should tell you, there listeners, at 1030 at night. They never sleep. No, they're pretty chatty. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge for you about doing this show? It seems like you didn't have many cast issues to deal with. That's true. I think it was challenging that Brian, who's playing Prospero, was gone for five weeks. So right. He was booked in New York already. He was booked in New York. So I rehearsed his scenes in June. I mean, I would have started this end of July, right. personally. But we had to rehearse while he was here. And then I had these five weeks. The challenge was to keep people involved in the show, but not rehearse it so much that everybody's tired of it and ready two weeks ago. Right, and I've noticed that tends to happen not only with summer shows, but also with the first show of companies' regular Mm -hmm. seasons, Mm -hmm. the one that goes up in September or maybe early October, that because people have vacations and they Mm -hmm. already have things booked up, the rehearsal schedule gets stretched. Stretched. You maybe only rehearse once or twice a week, but you're going at it for eight weeks. So yeah, by the time it opens, you're kind of tired of looking at it a little bit. 
it's been different with this one, I think, because not only with the challenge of performing when our lead is an imaginary space, right? right? Uh We've been acting at our imaginary friend for most of the run. But also, you would think you had your lines, and then you'd go on hiatus for a right. week, and maybe you're doing other things. You don't look at it. You come back, you think, oh, jeez, oh. I don't even remember what right. I'm standing here. Mm-hmm. And then you have to start afresh. Right. Did you feel that sort of stop-start quality? I did. My concern was I don't want people to get tired of it or forget about it. That was my biggest challenge. And everybody's, like, just what you said, everybody's vacations, and the show's very episodic, so... I don't think we had everybody in every scene until this week. No, and then Brian came back from New York, and although he had known his lines pretty clearly when he left, he came back and was rusty, honestly, the first night back. So I don't even know if that really counted as a proper rehearsal. Right. I felt like, here we are, it's Tuesday night, Mm -hmm. we open in two or three days. I felt like tonight was when it really started cooking with gas. I agree. We had rehearsals when he got back. We rehearsed Monday and then his scenes. And I think that really helped start it. And then bringing him in with everyone. Yeah, we knew it was going to be bumpy. And it was. But I think tonight, really, he dropped in pretty quickly. Yeah, I was really impressed with a young actor by the name of Kate Anders, who is, I guess, kind of new to this area. But she has a solid career elsewhere. She is playing Miranda, his daughter, and so she's really borne the brunt, I think, of playing to empty air. Nothing, right. Right. She's Um, fantastic. It's almost green screen acting, right? Mm -hmm. She'll be ready to go work at ILA. Right, right. (laughs) But yeah, they kind of walked around, I noticed, Mm -hmm. walked around the space, ran a few lines against each other, and tonight it was father-daughter. Everything was good to go. Right. Of course, Brian has no end of experience doing outdoor summer Shakespeare because he worked at Oregon Shakes Mm -hmm. for many seasons, I think. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get people excited about seeing their third Shakespeare of the year, right? Right. I am a big proponent of rethinking how we promote our shows. Mm -hmm. For so long, we have had the obvious attitude, I think, that if I just say to you, hey, everybody, come see me, I'm in a show... You, being my friend, will say, I can't wait. Where do Mm -hmm. I sign? Here's all my money, right? But in fact, I think it's really easier for our friends to say, yeah, and you'll be in another one next month. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what makes this one special? And honestly, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. And so I really am always trying to push companies to think from the point of view of a reluctant audience member who doesn't have a friend in the show, doesn't Mm -hmm. love Shakespeare, or doesn't think they love Shakespeare. Right, right. That's it. It's like people say, oh, I don't like the Beatles. Yeah, you do. You just have to be reminded of the song you like, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who has already maybe got drugged to a Shakespeare this year, and they either liked it or they didn't. But what's this Tempest? I don't even know that plot. Why I got to go sit in the sun and watch it. What's in it for me? The Tempest has a fantastic shipwreck scene. It starts the show. The show starts with, it's really exciting, I think. It's a disaster movie. It's a disaster movie, exactly. That's different. It's very different than his other shows, just the way it starts. It starts out with a bang. I wondered as we went through this how Shakespeare, given the technology and venue of his time, would have staged that. How much of that would have been just in the dialogue? How much? Maybe. I don't know. know, I think it may have been very similar to what we're doing. Sheets of tin and that's your thunder or something. But yeah. You've put a very modern spin on it. I compared it to some of the things I've seen on Japanese television that derived from Japanese theater, where you have these stagehands called Kuroko who are wearing mm-hmm. all black, mm-hmm. and the audience pretends they don't see them. 
and they can bring props in and take costumes out. Mm -hmm. And so that allows the actors to move in a way that almost defies gravity because they're being lifted by the Kuroko and carried around. And we don't necessarily do any of that, but the point of view of the audience kind of shifts in bullet time, like Mm -hmm. in The Matrix, right? Yeah, it does. Um, You're masterful as you go through it. It's so fun to watch. Well, it was fun to do. Yeah, good. Uh, it's good. different. It's, it's different, different from most of the theater we've done, I think. It felt mm-hmm. a lot more like a modern dance experience. <laughs> right, than... it's a K-Dare show, right. And there's acting and, in the middle of it, somehow, as much as you right, have time right, to do. Right. Okay, so I'm interested. We've got a shipwreck, and this they're going fun. to some kind of alien environment. Right. right. You know, I was saying to the cast, don't take this too seriously. And I'm not saying anybody in this town does this, but often you think of Shakespeare as a lot of posturing. and um, it's pompous. Pompous, right. And we're not. Well, let's see. There's, a, there's fart jokes. Yeah. And there's the poop lo- jokes. Yeah. And we're... somebody smells like horse piss. Mm-hmm. That's a direct quote from That's the Elizabethan quote, text. Right. And a lot of some... galactic scale coincidences. Yes. There's some vulgarity, I think. There's some, uh, There's you a know, bit of dry humping. Dry humping is in this. There's... Fun for the kids yes. in the park. <laughs> there's some urination at one point. Not to, it's, it's not as base as all of this, but it's all in there. Well, and footnote, so a lot of that derives from the character of Caliban, who was living on this magical, fantastic alien planet island, along with his mother, the witch Sycorax, Mm -hmm. and then Prospero comes in, waves his magic stick around, and takes the whole place over. Right. And Caliban isn't necessarily uh, drinking the community Kool-Aid yet, right? Right. So he's played as a figure of fun in many scenes, Mm -hmm. but... I think our understanding of what Caliban is thinking as this goes along has really been shaped by a a new historical understanding of the colonial period. And you could really do a deep dive down that well. You could. You have done none of that, it seems, in this production. No, He's just a funny fish dude who dances around and yells at things. I actually have spoken with Drew, who plays Caliban, Drew Doyle. Plays him very well. Yeah, he does. I I like his interpret. We talked before we started about my vision of it. I wanted to see what he was thinking. And we talked a little bit about that because you do hear about colonialism and an oppressed people and all that. And, you know, I'm thinking the stronger you play him, the more you could see that he's oppressed as opposed to being this sullen, sulky thing. Because here's somebody who's fighting against it, his captivity. And what has come out of this is just kind of this fun, you know, and he is one of the clowns, you know, you've got... Well, the he latches on to the drunks the who drunk, shipwrecked right, on the island. Right, and so they're all three clowns as opposed to two clowns and then this oppressed creature. And so, that's an interesting nuance to this production, I think, that aids it in mm-hmm. many ways. It keeps it from getting bogged down. Oh, right. Pompous. We're just moving along. They're really drunk and they do things in their drunken stupors <laughs> that are terrible. Well, having said all that, now, I'm a big fan of the personalities working on those scenes, so mm-hmm. I watch it pretty closely every night. I enjoy it every night. It strikes me that it is just about impossible that Tolkien wasn't thinking of that character mm. when he wrote Gollum. Oh, yeah, I can see that. This Mm -hmm. figure who is part and parcel of the magic lands, who just wants his thing that he used to have, and is mistreated by everybody who invades from other northern lands, Mm -hmm. and in the end pays for just wanting what he had. In the movies, that's played as a a tragic figure, which works. 
Yeah. I think it could work in some productions of this show, but I not in a production so with a bunch of seagulls screaming. No, over right, that's true. I think Caleb, he's sympathetic. I think people are going to like him in this one. In many, he's unlikable. I've seen him play. Yeah, so I've, I've seen him play grotesquely. Right, grotesque. I think there's a lot of sympathy for him in the way Drew is doing this. That you like him, you feel sorry for him a little bit. Yeah, I, I hope as it. people on the drive home are talking about the show, there'll be a moment at least where they go. Wait a minute, like, that was his island. Right, right. He actually has a pretty good case Uh here for getting to keep it, I suppose. Well, and maybe he does. And maybe Maybe, he does. Maybe after our supposed heroes sail home, he becomes Lord of the Manor. right. Ariel goes off, right. Who knows? Ariel is freed, and she goes off. Off, I guess, Uh, on the eastern wind, Maybe, yeah. Ariel, that's uh, Silva Getz in this show, and I have encouraged her to wear her pedometer every night because she's... (laughs) She's moving around. Putting in about 8,000 steps, I think, <laughs> yes. of performance. Uh-huh. So it's a fun show. And look, it's it free. Fun. Boy, and then hard on the heels of that will come everybody's fall season. And we're in it mm-hmm. full tilt again into another year right. of theater. And hopefully some local podcaster will step up and has the time to do it and will tell you all about it. If not, by all means, everybody, please keep an eye on oleards.org. Always free to scope the site. Always free to pick up the magazine at your local coffee shop. Take a look and see what's coming, because the quality of theater in this town is not only abundant, but mm-hmm. stellar. I mean, That's true. You and I have worked in bigger markets. We've worked in smaller markets than this. We know the challenges of just trying to get a show staged right. in some communities. In mm-hmm. some, it's hard to fit it in with the high-budget work that's being done. I think we're in the Goldilocks zone here. I do, too. I, I was looking at... I'm not leaving. Me neither. I have bought a house. I'm staying. I was looking out last night and tonight, just watching the show, and you've got the sound over here, and I see the Capitol behind us, and I thought, I am in the best place in the world right now. Yeah. Well, we'll finish on that. Look, I have enjoyed doing this podcast for its however many episodes it's been. We're back full circle to the start of another theater mm-hmm. year. And it's just as exciting to watch it all come together as it ever has been for me. So, thank you, Carr, for all you Thank you, guys. And thank thank you, you, listeners. Some of you have listened to every single episode in their entirety. We know that from watching the stats. I hope you've enjoyed it. And, you know, if one of you thinks, you know, I could do that, well, the market's wide open. You should email (laughs) Billy and Ned at Ole Arts and see if maybe they're hiring. Anyway, (laughs) thanks for listening, everybody. We won't see you next time on Sound Stages, but we will see you on Sound Stages. Mm-hmm.